our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny, and with me as always is my co-host Nick. Hello! The premise of our show is simple. For each week we have carefully picked two films which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find where their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on my particular area of expertise, Golden Age of Hollywood, and the other is Joseph, my co-host, which is from their specialty. So that would be anything from 1970s New Hollywood through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other. This week's theme is emotional manipulation, emotional games. Yeah, so I think I think we were, we were trying to lean down the melodrama kind of angle, but as time wore on and we ended up watching these films, it became more apparent that they shared more to do with, you know, like emotional manipulation. So I think I think that is that is the right way to describe this week's theme. A bit of a dark one, really, but hopefully. Yeah. So yeah, so we first have a 1942 Betty Davis film directed by Irvin Rapper. I am, of course, referring to now Voyager. Uh, here is a synopsis. Boston Harris Charlotte Vale, played by Betty Davis, is a neurotic mess, largely because of her domineering mother, played by Gladys Cooper. But after a stint in a sanatorium where she receives the attention of Dr. Jackwith, played by Claude Rains, Charlotte comes out of her shell and goes to a cruise. Aboard the ship, she meets Jerry, played by Paul Henry, and falls in love, despite his being married. They enjoy a brief trust in Rio before returning to the States, where Charlotte struggles to forget him and find happiness. The screenplay was um, by Casey Robinson um, and based on the 1941 novel of the same name by Olive Higgins Prouty. Prouty borrowed her title from the Walt Whitman poem The Untold Want, which reads The untold want by life and land ne'er granted, now, voyager, sail thou forth to seek and find. So, Nick, what did you think of the film? So, so to peek, to kind of peek, like a little bit of an introduction here. So, to peek to kind of behind the the, the curtain, as it were, of when how we kind of set up this podcast. Um, one of the first actresses, or you know, actors' names. Actually, I think it was even the first one that got thrown at me in terms of have you seen any of these films? Was Betty Davis, and um, you know, back then, back in the the, the more hopeful days of of January twenty twenty. Um, you know, I had said, you know, no, no, I hadn't, and there was a big gasp and a and a, and a big, you know, shock and what have you. Um, and then since then, we've we've watched that. This is our fourth Betty Davis film in in twenty one episodes. I'm not complaining. Um, this is you know, <laughs> just how it is. Um, and I have also, in the meantime, watched uh, all about Eve on my own time. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I went into CX, and there was a a Betty Davis DVD collection, which had a load of her films um, on on DVD, and it was there for for eight pound, and I was like, oh, eight pound for for six Betty Davis films, yes, please. Um, so <laughs> so I think it may I think it may be safe to say that I'm a bit of a fan of hers now. Um, Music to and, my ears, Nick. Music to my ears. <laughs> and um, I think I think this this film does does nothing to sway my opinion of her. It, it only just makes it makes it stronger. Um, of all the films that we've had, um, of you know starring her, this is on this podcast. I'm not talking about in general. I think this is by far the strongest. I think this is by far the strongest of the four. Um, before it was whatever happened to Baby Jane, but that was a more that was a, a totally different performance. This this is this in this performance in Now Voyager is so much more stronger, and I think Danny has said to me on many of occasion, and and you know Danny Danny you you don't do this. I, I'm the one that does it, but you you don't tend to hype up films because you know you want me to go in with as little expectations. Yeah, possible. I don't tend whereas, to hype up films. Where, whereas I'm like, oh yeah, it's amazing. Um, but if this is the only film you've ever hyped up 
and it hasn't disappointed. I'm glad um, to hear it. <laughs> I was, I was, yeah. I confess, I was slightly nervous because of the melodrama factor, but um, it was just for me, it was one of my favorite films that I've seen in the last 12, 12 months. Over I mean, like, again. I mean, it in, in terms of melodrama, I mean, like, for me, there's there's two different camps of melodrama. You got this kind of melodrama, which I can kind of live with. And, you know, the, the other kind of romance stuff that we've had in the past on this podcast. And then you've got the, the Douglas Sirk melodrama of All That Heaven Allows. And and, and that just, that, yeah. that, that, nearly, that nearly kills me. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know. And I, I can safely say that we will probably never have a Douglas Sirk film on this podcast if I have anything to say about it. That's, that's music to my ears. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, I'm not a big fan of Douglas Sirk, so yeah, don't don't hate me. Apolo- yeah, apologies, apologies to all the Douglas Sirk fans out there. We do apologize profusely. <laughs> I know, I know that I know they exist. I know that there are dozens of them. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, back back to back to now, Voyager. Um, this yeah, this was really, really, really fucking good. I I I I'm trying to hold back on the swearing, but yeah, no, this, <laughs> was, this was this was really fucking good. Um, yeah, as as a as a melodrama and romance, it is like I said, it's just really solid. Like you know, with a romance film, you kind of I've said in the past with other films that we've had on this podcast, with you know, with romance and stuff, you really want to, you know, some of them I haven't really bought what the romance is. I'm not going to name any names because that will you know, dig up graves. Don't, and what don't, have you. don't. Um, you know, I and but with this, like, I had I didn't have any fault with the relationship between Betty Davis and Paul Paul Henreid. Um, is that you say his name, Paul Henreid? Henroid? Henreid, I think. Henreid. Yeah, his name is uh in the film is Jeremiah Devoe Durance. Uh, which is which it's is quite just, a hell of a let's name. Let's just call him Jerry. Let's call him Jerry. Um, yeah, like though you know. I mean, obviously, you know, the the thing I know him from is Casablanca, you know, with, with Ingrid Bergman. And, you know, that he was the, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say the third wheel in that love triangle, but he was, you know, it wasn't, yeah. the love story wasn't about him. It was about Humphrey Bogart, you know, and, and Ingrid. It was all about those two. Um, whereas this, like, the Betty Davis, Paul Henry relationship, um, even though it's kind of like a secondary part of the plot and the secondary part of the film, it is really, really strong. Um, I th- it was really, really quite nice to see Claude Rains, um, an actor that I've you know seen pop up in a fair few things um, of films you know around like the forties and stuff. Casablanca being the obvious one, um, you know he's he's also in Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Um, and he's he was my he was my great nan's favorite actor, so um, you know it's always nice to see him on screen. He was he was really really good as as Doctor Doctor Jack Jackwith Jackwith um, Jackwith odd odd names really odd odd names in this in this film. Um, yeah. So I kind of I'm trying to like sum up. I, I don't want to say sum up my thoughts, but I kind of got like it's kind of like thoughts kind of like bitty all over the place. Um, so I'm I'm trying to kind of have them in in some kind of coherence now. So if we go with the like the the theme, the emotional manipulations, therefore, even you know it, it's just pure manipulation and 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 controlling behaviour. Um, you have uh, Charlotte Vale, Betty Davis, who is abused, emotionally abused by yep. her mother. Um, a woman that makes Mrs. Bates from Psycho look like Jade Goodall. <laughs> um, you know, a purely hateful woman. Um, and a, a woman that I was so happy to see die. Um, I, 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 were you happy to see her die? Is that a nice thing to say? I'm happy to see this old lady die. Were you, were you pleased? I was not pleased. I kind of wanted her to live on and see Charlotte just do whatever she wants with her life, in spite of her. Yeah, but like if she if she lived, then she would still have control of the purse strings, and you know. Yeah, I but think I, I think like, Charlotte you know, she's was dead, a, and, was yeah. And you know she's dead, so Charlotte's now got all the money. So yeah. 
That was good. That was um, good. Yeah, I was happy about that. It was, um, and then and then there's a parallel storyline a little bit later on in the film, kind of like the second half of the film, um, with uh, Jerry's daughter Tina, um, who I'm assuming is like ten, eleven, like it's about eleven, pre preteen, definitely preteen, um, and she. Is has this? You can definitely see the. It's obviously intentional, but you see the parallels between Tina and and Charlotte Bale when she was, you know, um, the the ugly duckling. Was that was that how they described her? Yeah, um, more or less. Yeah, the ugly the, duckling. Yeah. So there's there's parallels there, and you see, you know, Tina kind of being emotionally kind of. Like the stepmother was just was not a nice person. Like was not that great with her. Like didn't seem to understand what this little girl actually wanted. It wasn't her. the stepmother. It was her own mother that didn't want was her. It, was it her own mother? I thought it was the stepmother. No. So that's why the parallel works really well because Charlotte's mother didn't want her, and Tina's own mother didn't want her. She was an unwanted child. Ah, okay. So that's why they kind of, you know, the kindred spirits. Okay, all right. Well, uh, you can say that that makes the parallel even stronger. Yes. Um, and obviously, then you know, Charlotte takes her under a wing, and you know, you see this kind of girl kind of flourish, and and because of Tina, you know, the the love story, the romance, then doesn't happen. Which, if I've learned anything from, uh. Bit of a bit of a weird one, this reference. But if I've learned anything from the Netflix animated TV series Big Mouth, um, it is women always prefer things not to be shown. So they prefer the romance that doesn't happen rather than the romance that does happen. I don't know if that's correct. Yeah, just, no, just, it's true. It's true. Um, always prefer the romance that doesn't happen to the one that does. And, you know, the, you end up with the, the line at the end with the, the stars and the moon. Um... Which was, you know, it, it was it was very on the nose, but you know, you could see where they were coming from with it, and you know, they wanted to give it the grand ending and the, you know, the gone with the wind ending kind of thing, you know. Um, I have a theory. I have a theory about that, but I'll talk to you in a minute. About okay, it. so what? Was, so go to the start of the film, and they introduce Charlotte Vale, um, and ugly Becky Davis. They tried to make Betty Davis ugly, which um, kind of made me chuckle a little bit, because <laughs> I mean, it's very, very hard because <laughs> she's utterly stunning. Um, <laughs> and I thought they did actually did a good job at making, you know, this utterly stunning woman look not that attractive, you know, with a deliberately you know, not nice dress and the you know the hair that was not right the thick glasses the thick eyebrows you know what i mean it was it was it was very well done and i you know see what they're going for and then you have her being made beautiful and you know she becomes this her own person and you know she's utterly stunning and you know she's on the cruise ship and it's kind of she's she's actually just reintroduced like it's not like oh it's just a static shock and she's changed it's a proper introducing of a new character which i thought was a quite a nice directorial touch yeah um and it and it, and it reminded me and it, <laughs> it's another weird cut um it reminded me of uh, the breakfast club <laughs> and i was half expecting to hear uh, uh keith forsey's score from the breakfast club you know you know that scene in the breakfast club at the end where ali sheedy you know they they, they make over ali sheedy oh from yeah the, the 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 um you know the girl that's very herself and you know she's very you know the emo or is it the emo girl that gets make, make yeah it was a goth girl yeah know, the goth the girl 80s, that gets yeah, yeah yeah I remember I remember and <laughs> the, the weird the weird one and then you know they, they give her the makeover to turn her popular and you know I was it was the one it's the only part of Breakfast Club I don't like is the fact and I think a lot of people agree is the no fact that, no you know, they, they should have let her be herself I think I blocked let... that scene out because I didn't agree with it yeah I, and I, I think the story goes that even Ali Sheedy had, you know, verbal sparring sessions with, with John Hughes over that scene. Um, so, yeah, no, and, and I think the, the parallel, you can kind of almost see, like, the parallel between the Ali Sheedy scene in The Breakfast Club and, the, and, the, and this and here. Um, but Betty Davis is... 
Her, her outfits in this are stunning. Actually stunning. Um, um, yeah, yeah. That's utterly designed stunning. Designed by Ori Kelly. Brilliantly designed by Ori Kelly. Um, a couple of other things I uh, just wanted to touch on. I was really surprised by um, kind of the use of psychiatry in 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 the film, uh, especially in a film from nineteen forty two. Yeah, um, it was, and it wasn't done as like, oh, this is a crackpot theory kind of thing of like dumbing it down or anything like that. It was a very sincere kind of. It was. It, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like it, it was. It was a fine portrayal of, of psychiatry. Like it wasn't like you know. You know, straight jacket stuff. Word. No, it was. Yeah, it was. I think it was very, very sensible. Yeah, very like, sensible. In the way they were like, well, we're not, we're not want to refer people as crazy, or they just find a fork in the road and we tell them where to go. Like, yeah, we just kind of indicate help them out. Yeah, yeah, they just kind of help them out, and you know, if you're having a tough time, it's just it's okay. You know, everybody has their own tough time, and like. Dr. Jaffquith, um, you know, Claude Rains, you know, his kind of presence was very kind of reassuring. It wasn't like, oh, you know, he had the evil look of being like, I am the evil doctor and there is something wrong with you. He was, it was a very reassuring presence. And I think Claude Rains does that very, very, very well. Absolutely. Um, I was, <laughs> I was really admired by uh, the portrayal of Brazil, uh, which was very, very clearly, you know, some random parts of California um <laughs> that, and that some backdrops like you know some yeah um they have the you know they have the the clearly filmed footage of the Copacabana and, and the and the sugar loaf well that's the sugar, they couldn't yeah. actually go on on site to film back then yeah. that was kind of like the For, best 42 practice. so that, yeah 42 was you know world war 2 at the time yeah, so yeah exactly clearly. um when cuz the, the film that always surprised me as to its location shooting was Roman Holiday and that came yeah that was it 1953 because I was really when I, was, I saw that last year yeah and I was really surprised about how much of that was on location and then you know that was always one of the films that I watched and I was like wow it's amazing that you know yeah this um so yeah obviously for a film called Roman Holiday um they had to <laughs> go they had to go to Rome they they had to go to Rome it's, you know, it was a big you know. part of the film so they had to do that it would have yeah. been really really like it wouldn't have been the same it could have they couldn't have pulled it off I don't yeah think. um but anyway uh, uh, kind of a distracting a little bit I think so that there's there was one really fantastic line um, where Dr. Chathquith, uh Claude Rains says I thought you came here for a nervous breakdown and she replies I decided not to have one yeah. and it was, it, was, it was such a great great line and a great delivery and it was just the way she said it I was like that, that's, that's the Betty Davis coming through you know it was, it was I don't think anyone else could de- deliver that line like her and I feel like I can say that now because I've seen enough Betty Davis films where I can kind of identify what her thing is. Um, and, I, you know, it, it made me go, yes, I honestly, I can't see Joan Crawford delivering that line in the same way, you know, for example. I, I couldn't see it. I thought only Betty Davis could really do that line that way. Yeah. And I think that kind of just leads me on to say, like, it, this film, it... it I can see, I can understand why you wanted it on the podcast. And looking at our schedule now for the foreseeable future, you know, we had it a couple of weeks ago where, you know, we talked, to, we had quite a few John Crawford films and then we, 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 we've said we haven't got many, we haven't got any for, for, for a while. And the same now, this is, this will be the last Betty Davis film for quite some time. And I'm glad that we've come, we've kind of, same, almost the same with Johnny Guitar, where it was like we 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 kind of had Joan Crawford's performance in Johnny Guitar as the last one for for a while, and it's kind of really good to kind of have that with Betty Davis with Now Voyagers. You know, we we're kind of finishing off a Betty Davis run with this performance. Yeah. Um, and I think looking back on the other films that we've talked about, you know, one of my things was always like. I kind of wanted more from her and I finally have that <laughs> um, and it makes me really happy to see that and to kind of have that and 
yeah, no, I, I'm really, really, really impressed with this. Really, really impressed. So th- thank you for having this suggestion. <laughs> Excellent. Um, any other thoughts? Um, I just got like a one little comparison with the film later on, but I want to leave it until later. Yeah, we can we can do that later. Um, yeah. I had a few um, thoughts on, on this film. Um, just, yeah, just so you know that Betty Davis with this film got her fifth consecutive Academy Award nomination. Did she win? No. Really? It was, it was uh, um, Greer Garson's year with Min- Mrs. Minerva that year. Is is that a better performance? I haven't seen that film, so I'm asking you, hoping that you've seen it. Well, it you can't. It's like it's like comparing apples and oranges. Did the question I'm asking is did the Academy fuck up? No. No. Right. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Short answer is no. Long answer. Uh, guess who's got a video all, all about it? All about that. Uh, be kind. Rewind. You've got it. <laughs> we can share it in the show notes if you if you're interested in the 1943 Academy Award Best Actor ca- category, Best sorry Best Actress category, um, because there is there's quite a lot of information as to why Greer Garson won it that year and who was contend contender, and they were all very very strong performances. Um, but back to Betty, so since 19. 19- Thirty-nine until 1943 she was nominated each year in consecutive years so we had Jezebel in 1939 for which she won second academy award we had the letter I think we should probably add the letter onto our list maybe for next year you haven't seen the letter no we have dark victory which is probably my least so my least favorite nominated performance of Betty Davis's career we have the little foxes and we have now Voyager so by this by this point in her career Betty had enough star power and enough confidence to make executive decisions when it came to to her performances so she's after having worked with William Wyler on on three films I believe she was kind of knew at this point how to work with the camera and how to work on her performance and there are few stories about her working with Irving Rapper on this film some said some say that she directed the film for for Irving Rapper I think that he was an he was a good enough director to manage her performance but I also think that she knew what worked so I think it might have been a mix of the two I think that Betty Davis was a very strong world performer with enough experience and amazing intuition, just like you said before, to understand what would work best. And I think it might, for this case, it might have been a joint effort. I think at times he was kind of suggesting stuff to her and other times he just let her do her own thing. And I think a good director knows when to let the actor just try new stuff and try um, her own ideas on the performance. And I think this way of working might have felt a bit odd for the other actors of the era who were maybe just used to given been given directions uh, while they sat around looking pretty. But it, it feels kind of a modern way of, of collaborating with, with an actor and, and director. So I think it was a very good example of a star-led film that that is more gen- than just one amazing performance. I think... If it'd been a different director, Betty Davis could have just taken all the air in the room every time she came on. But I think all the other performances were all very good. So it's it. I don't think it's very just to say that Irving Rapper didn't direct this film. Um, Claude Rains uh, was Betty's favorite leading man. I think it shows how much they get along and how they trust each other and they respect each other as characters as and as actors. And I'm glad that you picked up on the, I mean, I, the idea that Paul Henry was kind of a third wheel in, in Casablanca. I felt the same way when I first saw that film. And he he was, the, it was the first film that I saw Paul Henry in. So I just feel that when I saw this film, when I saw Now no Voyager, I was, it, it changed my mind in terms of 
having you know the 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 lead character as as the suave hero um in in Casablanca of course you can't you can't really compare Paul Henry to Bogart he was the third wheel but in this film he just he can he shows that he can pull off sexy so having rewatched the film recently it is clear to me that the cigarette is the ultimate symbol of Charlotte Vale's sexuality so bear with me you you go you go and proper like this is a this is my theory kind of thing. so this is my theory and i think i'm i mean this is what i've seen after having watched the film several times we're doing some film analysis here people get ready so in in her room you you, you don't even see her from the first time you see her hand putting out the cigarette that's the first thing you see you see all the people around her talking about her uh, when she's not there and then you see her put out the cigarette because she knows that she's being called by her mom and then she wipes off the uh, lipstick off her uh, lips and just puts it on the, in the rubbish bin so she smokes alone she's repressed hides about her because mother doesn't approve of her smoking when she first meets Jerry he lights her cigarette for her a couple of times later when they fall madly in love he will take two cigarettes of his own case light both both of them and give one to her well when I first saw this film I thought that was the sexiest thing to be put on satellite during the entire production era production code era so if you are listening and you think there's another scene that is more sexually charged than this please email us and tell us what scene has more sexual tension in the whole postcode era i would i would definitely love to know so when when you say postcode era can Post- we get a definition 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 of so how, 1934 1968 all right um so i think both paul henry and betty davis claimed to have come up with the idea during rehearsal but it, it, the idea had been done during a pre-code film called The Rich Are Always With Us, starring Ruth Chatterton and George Brent. But I personally think that Henry did it better and it works much better to show the progression of, of Charlotte's sort of sexuality. Which brings me to, to the repressor, uh, who is Mother Vale, played brilliantly, I find, by Gladys Cooper, she was nominated. She was she was incredible in the in the role of the overbearing mother, and the scenes between her and Betty Davis are so well staged and choreographed that you can actually feel the tension, as well as in the change in dynamic between the two. So you have one of them sitting, but I mean the mother is sitting, and then she will sort of bark orders at her, and you have Charlotte being sort of afraid to look at, even look at her mother and then when she comes back from her cruise she's she's mu- much more in charge of her own like even though she's sitting she will be like standing her own ground and later t- when she gets ready for the party I don't know if you've noticed but w- you have Charlotte getting ready for the party and she's telling she's in the next room getting ready getting dressed and she's in the. She tells her mum that she's not gonna be like pushed around the way she was. And that that thing that she doesn't even have to be in the room to stand up for her mum anymore. Just by her own voice, she she can dominate the room. Um. And yeah, Gladys Cooper was nominated for best supporting actress for the role, but lost to Teresa Wright for Mrs. Miniver. I think that in that year, Mrs. Miniver just smashed it. It just won everything. So yeah, I think that's kind of it for for me on Now Voyager. I love this film so much. It, it is a melodrama, but I think it's a timeless one. It shows not just a story about love, but also about like family and emotional manipulation and and how yeah, how it can go really really wrong and how it, it can damage children. I think I think this film also shows how you can kind of overcome it yeah yeah um, absolutely i think i think out of the two if we're if we're kind of trying attempting to bridge the gap here out of the two films this is the more hopeful and the yes more, positive more one. the more and uplifting one definitely the more, <laughs> the more uplifting one and it is obviously it is also the one that is more like 
there you know you you can you can get through this you know that this is something that can be overcome um and i'm gonna i'm gonna attempt to use my little kind of linking thing here are you, are you all done yep yep all done all right so so i think both films um i think have a hand have a very very strong grasp on how wealth and power um and sexuality i think have you know have a very very strong psychological hold on people and yeah. how they can be manipulated to use use that i think you know between the two films i think that is very very much the the the, the link between them is there is a definite link between wealth i mean you know the the, the veil family is is you know wealthy as fuck and you know in this the other film you know there is an inherent as a need for money more, and yeah as, yeah yeah it becomes much more of a you know a uh, a, a hold on 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 the character so the the second so the the, the second film <laughs> The second film, um, as we've said, you know, this isn't uplifting. So um, this is Star 80 uh, from 1983, directed by Bob Fosse. Um, this is the second Bob Fosse film we've had in quite quick succession. I think All That Jazz was only a few episodes ago. Yeah, you managed to um, sneak, sneak, the, sneak this one by me. Well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, in terms of Bob Fosse films, he's only, he only ever directed six um and uh, you know you've and we've already charity. had two <laughs> you you had sweet charity from 1969 starring shirley mclean which is a two and a half hour studio musical which is only really worth watching for the musical number hey big spender um you know and then he did cabaret which is a masterpiece which you have seen i think we we discussed cabaret i think no no you've never seen cabaret no Ooh. Uh, starring Liza Minnelli, and then he did um, a come- uh, like a biopic on a comedian called Lenny, um, starring Dustin Hoffman. I've heard of and that. Then he- and then he did all that jazz, and his final film before his death in 1985 is Star 80. So um, I got a bit of a plot synopsis. Uh, Paul Snyder is a narcissistic small-time hustler who fancies himself a ladies' man. His life changes when he meets Dorothy Stratton, working behind the counter for Dairy Queen. Under his guidance, Dorothy grows to fame as a Playboy playmate. But when Dorothy begins pursuing an acting career, the jealous Paul finds himself elbowed out of the picture by more famous men. Um, I think I I did say to you last week that this is based on a true story. Um, so I'm really, really intrigued to know what you think of this film. Okay. So, this is one of those films that I would have never actively chosen to watch. Um, I'm just going to start with the negatives. And, Go for it. Yeah, and, and sort of, yeah. So, it just made me feel slightly uncomfortable because it felt like all the men in Dorothy's life were just predators, all with hidden agendas trying to manipulate her. And she also, unfortunately, she was also a very, very easy prey. She had no backbone. Also, um, how can I explain this? There's no, there's no way of explaining. I don't like Mariel Hemingway. I never liked her performances in all the other films I've seen. I've seen her in a couple of Woody Allen films. Maybe just like you with Chalamet and Call Me By Your Name, I just wanted to slap her. I never found her particularly talented. I just wanted, I wasn't sold on her performances as, as like, she was supposed to be this gorgeous playmate and I just didn't see that, I'm sorry. I think I would have enjoyed the film much more if had someone else played Dorothy because Eric Roberts was great. I don't know what happened to his career because I grew up of I, I grew up with him in some seeing him in some questionable action flicks from the 90s and then I think he was also in like The Young and the Restless. So I knew him as as a kind of like a B movie actor. He was in um a video of Mariah Carey, it's like really low. <laughs> 
so this came as a shock for me to see him so brilliant in this. He was just brilliantly deranged. I can't explain. It was just like he was incredible. He was energetic. He was loathsome, like incredibly loathsome. But he was super, super intense, insane. He was insane. Um, this film made me realize that Bob Fosse is an incredible director. Yeah, you can see the artistry of the shots. Um, but I, I think for me it was kind of like nothing else attracted me to the story. So it was kind of like, oh, I, I love the way he shoots this. And also, if you give me a film photographed by Sven Nickvist, starring Mariel Hemingway. I will end up looking at the way the shot is lit rather than watch her performance. Sorry. No, oh, that's fair enough. <laughs> I did like the editing. I think it was perhaps the best way to keep the audience interested in in a, in a story that was kind of bit seedy. I'm not, you know, I'm not dismissing the fact that there were and still are millions, millions and millions of women who let men control their lives. Um, I just, I just didn't feel connected with Dorothy's plight because she, she just came across to me as a very silly girl who should have had the strength to get back to Vancouver as soon as the idea came, as soon as she felt like this wasn't right, as soon as she, you know, she just escalate, she just let everything escalate to the point where she, yeah, got killed by her very disturbed husband estranged husband I don't know I, I you've, you can see how as soon as she's kind of flicked through the magazines and she sees beautiful women on the, on those magazines she kind of goes okay maybe I want to be one of them and she lets Paul photograph her so on the one hand she would like to be artistically shot and made to look pretty and famous she likes that part of life and I enjoyed I, the photos were done tastefully, um, but I just I don't know. Ultimately, it destroyed her and it made her unhappy, and because of you know her abusive, abusive, emotionally abusive. Yeah, because we're talking about emotional abuse. He was just so clingy and just yeah. It's a very sad story, and I d because it was of course based on real life I don't want to feel insensitive at all um, I just wish they could cut someone else's Dorothy um, yeah um, I I appreciate the the way it was filmed I appreciate the storyline I appreciate the the editing was great Bob Fosse's great director and Eric Roberts was just like I did not expect that much acting talent from him I think he was brilliant but yeah, that's kind of it for me. I think it's I think it's really insane that you know we're we're talking about this film and and you know this you know I I didn't know this film existed until um I you know I was going into my you know I'm now obsessed with Bob Fosse after watching all that jazz you know I didn't I heard about you know I, I was at Star eighty what is this never heard of it and you know and I'm watching it and thinking this is in this is a mate this is really really fucking good film with an insanely amazing performance from an actor that he is, was so like said, yeah he was just so insane he would you could see him being absolutely truthful he he yeah i think he won method for this you just you could see the insanity yeah. in his eyes i mean it, it it's he got nominated he only got nominated for a golden globe for best actor in a dramatic performance, um, the Academy obviously wouldn't touch this with a ten foot barge pole. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in the eighties, they they would not touch a performance like this. Um, and think about it's a, it's a great what if then what if Eric Roberts got that Academy nomination? You know, what would have happened to his career? Um, because you know there is you know this is just proof that he is an insane uh, uh, don't know if he, he is now but you know he was an amazingly uh talented, fantastic actor yeah. talented actor um so yeah the um, i said this is based on true events uh dorothy stratton was like in the film murdered by paul snyder in a, in a murder suicide um 
and Bob Fosse, this is his only script that he wrote by himself. Um, all the other scripts he, he, he had a, he a co-writer, this was the only one he wrote by himself. Um, I've spoken in our kind of in our discussion of all that jazz of a thing called Fosse time. I don't know if I if I did I talk about that on the part. I think I did, um, which is kind of like a blurring of narrative through the editing. Yeah. So um, you know, different time periods kind of shifting in and out. And what Star Eighty does, the structure of Star Eighty is 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 much much more explicit. Yeah, so I it's kind that. of like the yeah. So the film the film starts off with uh, you don't know it at the time, but you know if it's your first viewing, you know you don't know it that Paul Snyder has just killed Dorothy and he's kind of rambling, and you that is that sequence is then kind of split up and you see it at random points in the film. There is kind of like these fake interview sections like talking head stuff going on um you know with with cliff robertson as hugh hefner as uh and then you got um dorothy's mother um and you know i think i think it, what that does it just adds when you see that final you know the, the ending basically the actual final murder suicide you know it all that does the fossey time stuff of the the the, the, the blurring of the narrative i think it, it just adds so much more weight to the horror and tragedy of the film in in hindsight you look back after seeing the film and it just adds so much more power to it um and i th- like i said this is i think this is paul fossey at his most experimental in terms of where he was going with with you know his fossey time he said he's that you know the editor um alan heim uh, he worked with um, on Lenny on all that jazz. Uh, Alan Heim also worked on on Network, um, and like you said, you know the cinematography is amazing. Um, Sven Sven Nykvist, is that how you say his name? I think Nykvist. Nykvist. Um, for those that don't know, he's a Swedish cinematographer. He he was the cinematographer for for Persona. Um, most Fanny of and Xander, yeah, most the, of Bergman, Ingmar Bergman's films, and I'm a big uh, he also, fan. He also shot uh, Tarkovsky's The Sacrifice. Um, so you know he, he also shot um, uh, one of the segments for New York Stories, the the Woody Allen, Francis Ford Coppola, Scorsese segment film that that, that they did in the eighties. Um, so yeah, no, it's a, a, a really, really phenomenally shot film, and you think with all that talent, like you know, Alan Heim editor, Sven Nykvist cinematographer, and, and Bob Fosse directing, you know, this film would be a lot more kind of well known, and it just it, it isn't, it it isn't, and it, it's maybe it's um, because of the like the subject, subject matter. matter. Right? Yeah, so um, <laughs> you say that. Um, you kind of wish somebody else played Dorothy. So, um, Mario Henry is kind of a dead ringer for for Dorothy Stratton. Um, if you look at pictures of Dorothy Stratton, she I did. She looks I did not so see much the like resemble. her. I did not see the resemblance. You didn't. I no, did. I, I did I, look I, at I did. Dorothy Stratton. I thought she was good looking. I don't. I don't find Mario Hemingway good looking. I'm sorry. Okay. I. I'm. Yeah. I mean. I. I yeah, um, it's just I, thought, I don't uh, know. It's maybe just me. It's one of those things that you just I don't. Yeah, yeah. So um, this was actually the second movie based on the the murder of Dorothy Stratton. Um, there was a nineteen eighty one television film called Death of the Centerfold: The Dorothy Stratton Story, um, where Dorothy Stratton was played by one Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, so I don't know if you would rather see Jamie Lee Curtis play Dorothy Stratton or I think she has uh, more sex appeal. I I yeah I I definitely agree with that. I just yeah that one scene in see... True Lies, but yeah. yeah I yeah I mean True Lies yeah. Um, um, yeah, I'd probably be interested to watch. I mean, I love Jamie Lee Curtis in any anything. It's a TV movie, so it can't be that good. Um. Yeah, the uh, I so said this this film based on a true story. Dorothy's mother um is never named as per the family's wishes, and the siblings' names were changed. Um, Hugh Hefner 
Um, he 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 did not he did not like his portrayal in the film. Uh, How he, could he? He, did, <laughs> he, he, uh, he um, from what I can gather, I think he attempted to sue the filmmakers, uh, thinking it's quite defamatory. His, his you know portrayal by Cliff Robertson's uh, amounts to defamation of, of you know. Um, but I, th- I think Cliff Robertson's performance is really really good, really really good. Yeah, yeah. I have no qualms with that. I think yeah, he, he, I think he nailed it, especially in the like CD underworld of playmates. That the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Roger Ebert said that uh, he gave this film four out of four stars, and he deemed it an important movie. The Washington Post um, hated it. Um, so it's a very, very divisive film. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, Eric Roberts' performance. Um, Roger Ebert said that, you know, he should have been nominated for an Oscar for his work. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then when uh, Gary Oldman um, as Sid Vicious and Sid and Nancy um, was snubbed for the same reasons, uh, Roger Ebert actually coined the phrase Star 80 Syndrome. And he oh. said that Holly, Hollywood will not nominate an actor for portraying a creep, no matter how good the performance is. Um, that, this film... Yeah, sorry. That that kind of changed lately, has it not? I think it may be a change from 1991 uh, with Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, I mean, you had lots um, of, like, super, super villains play, like, winning Oscars nowadays. Yeah, you, you you know, you get the Oscar for being the bad guy, basically, and, and yeah. you know, for playing against type kind of thing. And I I think that kind of did start off with the, the Hannibal Lecter. Possibly, possibly. Uh, with Science of the Lambs. Uh, would be an interesting case study to kind of look at that. Mm. Um, this film bombed, bombed. Uh, it, it, it made, it, it yeah, it, it tanked, basically. Um, it did get nominated for the Golden Bear at uh, the Berlin International Film Festival. Um, actually, correction, um, Bob Fosse was nominated for the Golden Bear. Um, there was one one good thing um, that it did win. Eric Roberts actually did win Best Actor for, from the Boston Society of Film Critic Awards. So the Boston Society of Film Critics know what they're talking about, clearly. <laughs> yeah, well... Interesting that you said that it wasn't uh, it bombed at the box office. I forgot to mention that now Voyager was uh, Betty Davis' best um, earning film of her of her, her career, so she yeah. it was the best like it smashed all box office um, records. Um, and I think adjusted for inflation, it was always the best film of her career in terms of box office success. So you. You were, you you said that this wouldn't be a film you you would have actively seen. You wouldn't have seen this film. No, I don't think I would have. No, no. because of you... because of Mariel Hemingway. I think I just yeah. Really? Yeah, I mean, I didn't I, I, I didn't love this film because of her. I liked it because of all the other things that I've mentioned. But I think I would have loved this film if it had been for another actress. I can't stand her. I don't know why. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. No, it's fair enough. Uh, you know, it's fair enough. I mean, you know, it's it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those um, no, things I, I can't I, explain. No, I, were you? Were you? Were you? So you know, one of the things when I first saw this film for the first time, like I said earlier, like I I couldn't believe how good this film was and how little it's spoken about. Do you? Do are you on the same wavelength with that? Are you... Yeah, I've never heard of this film before. And you, you would you want this film? It's, would you would you be willing to kind of be like, oh, you know what's really good, and you know, in a conversation, and be like, you know what's really good, Eric Roberts' performance in Star. Yeah, AT. yeah, I would definitely yeah. say Eric Roberts is one of the best uh, actors I never knew was was so good. Yeah, yeah I would definitely yeah. just sing in praises. Absolutely. Um, to kind of carry on, this is kind of almost me kind of wrapping up. So to kind of carry on the Roger Ebert thing going on, um, on RogerEbert.com, uh, back in 2016, I think it was, we're talking November 15th, 2016. So this was, what, a couple of days after the election of Trump? Um, 
Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was a couple of days after. Um, Christina Newland, uh, film critic Christina Newland, uh, did wrote an article, published an article on RogerEbert.com called A Horror Story for Our Times, Another Look at Bob Fosse's Star 80. And she makes the very, very profound, I think it's a very, very strong distinction. I will link this article in the show notes. It's an ex- extraordinary article. Um, and she makes the distinction as to the male rage portrayed in Star 80 and how, and especially towards uh, women. Um, she says, uh, but as Americans stand on the precipice of a Trump administration, the degree to which male rage has overwhelmed the discourse and to which public humiliation and the assault of women is accepted is newly frightening. Mm. In Bob Fosse's final film, Star 80, this collective male hatred could easily double as a thesis. For Playboy playmate Dorothy Stratton, it was a stalwart fact of her existence. The powerful, trusted men who steered the course of her life also failed to prevent her violent murder at the hands of her strained husband. Um, and uh, yeah, this this article is is absolutely is 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 absolutely phenomenal, and she, she goes into some detail as to the yeah the, the abuse and um. Yeah, the like said that the the kind of things you'd expect from how like basically how what how what the last four years have been, especially yeah. when you look at American politics and American sexism and how it's kind of you know hopefully coming to an end soon. Um, and I, I, God, yeah, no, that's gonna uh, happen. God I'm knows. not. I'm. I mean, I never expected we'd we'd come to this point. Yeah, um, well, I never expected least, back in 2016. I wouldn't have never expected this ha- to happen, but here at least we over are. the uh, at <laughs> least over the pond, at least over over the over the pond, they've got a chance to kind of undo the damage. Um, whereas we're fucked over here. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> any, <laughs> any anyway anyway um, we've just started. <laughs> th- yeah, th- this film is this film is is. I think it is. It is a very very is it is a horror film. But not in the same way as like you know, not in you know, like like Christina Newton says, not in the same way of, of Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween. It is it's very much a horror film in in how it portrays the misogyny and, and toxic masculinity, yeah. and it's a very yeah. very frightening look into the psyche of men, basically. Yeah, of a, of a yeah, very, yeah. It's just yeah, because um, it just always the men feel that they need to that women sort of need to owe them something they owe them we owe men whatever yeah so you 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 know we own you kind of thing yeah it's, it's that yeah. mentality um and it's it, it is a very very frightening mentality and it's something that no i say no straight man is not exactly true but that most men will never never know because they've never been put in that position i have certainly never been in that position and this film kind of it doesn't it it gives a very very tiny glimpse into what you know women and kind of the, what they kind of have to deal with yeah and um it it is a very very horrifying horr- horrifying look into that um so yeah no i i i think i think this film i think this film is utterly utterly phenomenal um I think and, I think you're right um, in saying that it is an important film, and it, especially in 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 this day and age, because we we tend to think that this sort of behaviour is in the past, and it's not, not by a mile. No, no, it's not. Um, it's just yeah, and it's heartbreaking it's... to to discuss about this film and know that it was based on a true story, and the you know Dorothy's life is one of many that has been lost in the same way. So it's kind of. Yeah, it's. I think it's down to us to sort of start changing the the behavior and 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 talking about it. So yeah, thanks yeah. for thanks for making me watch this film. I wouldn't have actively pursued it because it was about the story of a playmate, and I didn't think I would have anything in common. But it's obviously an important film, and it's part of a very important conversation that we all need to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I can. It. It. I think. I just to kind of finish up. I was all I was shocked that I forgot that for a split for literally a frame you see Dorothy being shot and yeah. you see the aftermath and it's how it's shot and how it's framed 
and it is is very very frank it's not stylized in any way it is very very frank it's not shot as though it's you know like a, a scene from it's not made csi pretty. yeah it's not it's not framed like it's a scene in csi it's not framed in 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 a crime scene thing it's not framed in a stylistic way like in a De Palma film or in a Dario Gento Giallo you know it's it's shot as is and um I think Fossey I think yes he you know in the, he's very he was very very frank in his um in his work especially in all that jazz as to his you know his womanizing and and the way he treated women and i think this is him almost kind of coming to terms with him as as a man and how he treats women um i did read somewhere that um he he did see himself as like you know like paul snyder um which was quite interesting shock Um, horror i did not expect that (laughs) <laughs> um, I think I think that's I think that's like him being obviously bad on himself. Like I think that's being like you know very 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 much down on himself. Kind of like you know taking that kind of look. Obviously, like he was nothing like Eric Snyder, uh, Paul Snyder in, in that way. You know, no, not in that way. But, but he was still kind of like demeaning. Yeah, to, manipulative. To yeah, demeaning. Yeah, exactly. So I think this is him almost kind of coming to terms with with how he how he kind of treated women. Um, well, you know, all that jazz was very much him kind of coming to terms with his life. And kind of giving him the death that he, you know, he's, he gives himself, you know, the, his death, basically. I think this is him giving himself almost like therapy <laughs> in terms of how he treats women. And I, yeah, it, it's, it is a phenomenal film. And I'm really, really ha- I'm quite glad that we've spoken about it. And obviously, like, giving it against the film Now Voyager, in which it surprisingly shares quite a bit of DNA with. Yeah, absolutely cool so that 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 is that is us kind of done with with cool. that um we are moving on to something a bit more frightful that's next week i think cool so what what have you got on for next week um so we we got comedies next week Yay. um we've got about time. Hawks. yeah we haven't had comedy in a while have we i know i'm looking forward um, to it well team america was hilarious but you know well um uh, well <laughs> Let's so not... um yeah we've got uh howard hawks directed uh 20th century that is um, the zaniest film that has ever zaned there we go so that is where that quote is from everybody yes. um that film starring john barrymore and carol lombard um i can't wait and from what i can gather this this film is very much like a behind the scenes kind of thing going on <laughs> Yeah, it's like you know, behind the scenes of a shooting of. of I'm of not a, gonna. Of a... I'm not gonna tell you any more of it. Oh no I'm no no gonna... no! It's yeah. All right. You and watch it and are... you'll find out. And then we are watching this with um, Bowfinger from 1999, directed by Frank Oz, uh, starring Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy, um, two comedic <laughs> legends. Um, are you not a fan of Eddie Murphy? Or, or I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that sarcastic uh, yay was. Is it more directed by Eddie I mean, Murphy? I am, I am. They are geniuses. They are brilliant, both of them. I, I, I yeah. can't say I, I don't like them. I can't. For 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 a long, long time, this this was you know the final best. You know, it was the it was the last best funny movie Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin ever did. Um, Eddie Murphy's kind of coming back a little bit recently um he was in um dolomite is my name um which is really 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 good uh he's really really good in that and he's got uh, a sequel to coming to america coming out i think it's either late this year or next year uh steve martin on the other hand is kind of not really done much he did a couple of pink panther films which are terrible yeah those weren't um, good but then you know he all he they does now is just... in them for christ's sake yeah, all, all, he, all Steve Martin does now is just on his Twitter page playing banjo, which is amazing. So, um, if, you, if, you, if you want, if you want, if you want to have something to watch for the next week that isn't Bowfinger or or Twentieth Century, go onto Steve Martin's Twitter page and watch him play bland banjo. It is it is pretty amazing. So that is that is next week. A uh, bit, bit of comedy going on, which is which after this week, I think we we need absolutely. So, Danny, where can we find you on the internet? 
You can find me on Twitter at Joan and my website is KeynoteJoan.co.uk. And you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. Uh, my website is SuperAtomoVision.com. And we have our podcast Twitter account, which is at Kinotomic. And our Gmail is Kinotomic at gmail.com. Um, Danny, like I said, issued a challenge earlier. Um, so if you can, like I said, what was it? What was the challenge again? Please tell us what other scene is better, like more sexually charged than the scene of Paul Henry lighting cigarettes for Betty Davis in No Voyager. Right. I'm racking my brains and I can't think of one. I, I, um, wasn't it the best? It, it was pretty, pretty good. Um, <laughs> my friend, I watched it with my friend and she's like, oh my God, that scene made my toes curl. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so so on, on that note, it's a goodbye and a thank you list for listening from me. And a goodbye and thank you for listening from me. 